Hi everyone, Terry Welbrock here, host of the Healing Place podcast, and today is book launch day for today's guests, Mary Giuliani. Mary has joined me twice on the show, um, once very early on when the show started in those first like five and a half years ago, um, and then for the also the Facebook Live pandemic self care series that thirty six previous podcast guests had come back and joined me on air and that was wonderful to have her on air for that. So now she's here for a third time and I feel so blessed to have been a part of this book coming into fruition and uh, watching it blossom. And Mary and I would have weekly calls and uh, talk about her writing journey. She would read me chapters. Uh, she would send me chapters. I'd give feedback, give my thoughts. And so it's just, um, it's just been such a blessing and a joy to, to watch this come to life and uh, witness it um, be launched out into the universe because truly, truly, this book is filled with an incredible amount of information on healing trauma and uh, resources and science and personal stories and just so much more. It's a teaching memoir. And um, yes, if if you are looking for a, an amazing resource, go check out this book. Um, go to Amazon today. Uh, it's launching on Amazon today. And yeah, help her, help her launch this thing into number one in in the categories that the book is is being released in so all right well now for today's wonderful episode with my beautiful friend mary giuliani welcome everybody to the healing place podcast i'm your host terry welbrock and just my heart is happy to have mary giuliani here with me before she has been here on the program, gosh, twice before. Yes. So Mary is a master certified coach, keynote speaker, and author of It's Not About Food, Drugs, or Alcohol. It's About Healing Complex PTSD. As a complex trauma recovery coach, she supports survivors in healing from complex trauma and achieving long-term recovery with food, weight, drugs, alcohol, and relationships resulting in them turning their pain into power and purpose. I love it. Welcome, Mary. Yay. Thank you so much, Terry. It's a thrill to be here. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm so happy to see your face. We've we've talked on the phone. You know, we yes. had, gosh, months on end where we were talking weekly as you were writing yes. this amazing, wonderful, awesome book, which I'm telling everyone right now, you need to uh, oh. read this book because... Oh, just jam-packed with incredible insights and science and your personal story and so much more. And that's what we're mostly here to talk about today. So, yeah, so talk to us about this this journey of writing this book sure. and um, what, what inspired you. Sure. Well, you know, um, for me, I was just, you know, minding my own business on my recovery journey. I've been, you know, I got sober originally in 1987. Uh, had a very serious drinking and drug and food addiction problem as a result of being raised in a pretty dysfunctional, chaotic, alcoholic home. So thankfully, I got sober when I was 27 and, and then got into recovery with alcohol and drugs and lost over 100 pounds, was maintaining a, a long-term weight loss as well. So on the outside, everything in my life looked pretty good. You know, I mean, I uh, had been a successful entrepreneur and coach and 
And yet I was still struggling in many ways. Like, for example, um, even though I'd been maintaining my weight, I was still struggling with food to some degree. I was still struggling with sleep and caffeine and and maintaining long-term friendships and, and romantic relationships. And so one day when I was 57, I was reading The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And the only reason I got the book was because I'm a total psychology geek and I love reading about all things mental health and you know personal growth. And I noticed that uh, trauma had been a more uh, common topic that seemed to be coming up in, in uh, podcasters' favorite book lists. So I read it, not even thinking it would apply to me. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I I think I'm a trauma survivor because it was like, you know, I had thought, excuse me, I had thought that you had to have had like physical or sexual abuse to be considered a trauma survivor or something other super horrific and overt. And here I was reading page after page where he's talking about, you know, you can uh, also experience trauma from being raised in an alcoholic home, which I was, being exposed to parents who have are emotionally abusive to each other, which I was, um, being bullied as a child. Uh, I was an overweight kid, so I experienced bullying for many years. And then even um, as uh, I came out as a lesbian, or to myself at least, when I was like 15 in the 70s, and you know all the homophobia, of, and I was attending a Catholic school at the time, you know. <laughs> To put it, you know, make it even worse. Nothing more so, need to be said. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, I'm just reading this book and, and recognizing all these symptoms. And uh, it was just mind blowing to me because I, um, you know, I had my nose to the ground on personal growth and, and healing the wounds of my childhood through going to CODA meetings and Al-Anon and, <clears throat> excuse me, adult child of uh, children of alcoholics and AA and OA and And so I'd read all the books and, you know, had even read, you know, like John Bradshaw stuff on healing the shame that binds you. And and um, and I still had never heard that what I had gone through would be considered trauma. And so um, so, you know, I'm just at first I was like shocked that, you know, I had no idea that that I could be considered a trauma survivor. And some people might think, well, so so what? You're a trauma survivor. What's what's the you know, whether you call it trauma survivor or adult child of alcoholic or whatever. Well, what I learned is that uh, trauma, not only, I used to think that trauma, childhood trauma or, or PTSD, uh, only if really was like the memory of the disturbing memories of what happened and just, you know, having to deal with that. But I didn't realize that that childhood trauma, since you're in such a young, uh, you know, you're young and your brain's developing, your brain gets changed to where you become what they call hyper aroused, which you're anxious, uh, you know, on, you know, uh, you have difficulty with attention, you have difficulty with impulse control, emotional regulation. And I'm like, oh my God, no wonder I struggled with food. You know, if my brain had been impacted in a way that would cause impulse control deficits, it would make sense that I would have a hard time stopping eating food uh, when I, you know, was full or why the first time I picked up a drink when I was 16, it was like a spiritual experience <laughs> because it was like, I I was already, um, you know, really, I was anxious and uh, just, you know, when you're a trauma survivor, your whole nervous system and, and, your, and your worldview and, 
it's your your it's like it's like it's almost like you have a thermometer that's uh dysfunctioning you know you're it's either set too hot or too cold and so you know when i first started drinking it was like oh my god this feels better than i've ever felt and and what i learned about that is um and actually some other authors that i studied is that survivors trauma survivors uh tend to have and not all but this is from judith grizel's work from she's a neuropsychologist that researches addiction, uh, that uh, many survivors have 50% less beta endorphins, which are the natural opioid centers in our brain. So when we drink or do drugs, it's almost as if we are shoring up that deficiency so we feel normal, maybe for the first time, you know? And so anyway, um, and so it, it, it explained that. It explained why I couldn't stop drinking when I started, uh, why um, I had difficulty in relationships. Um, what I learned, which was another, you know, it, it, just to kind of back up a little bit. So I'm reading these chapters and going, I'm like kind of having one epiphany after another, uh, going, oh my God, I didn't realize that that childhood trauma had changed my worldview into one that was, and I didn't know this explicitly, but basically my worldview was people aren't safe. Right. And um, and the reason is, first of all, my, my nervous system was hyper aroused when I was around people, especially close relationships, because that's what I experienced in close relationships with my my parents. I mean, they're always yelling and my mom, my mom was basically getting drunk and yelling at my dad. And so close relationships for me, were a trigger for conflict that never really got resolved. And um, so uh, it was difficult for me to be around people in social in uh, social environments. So I just thought, you know, I have an anxiety disorder. So I, you know, and I was had been on an antidepressant for that and, and it really helped, but I didn't realize that it was rooted in untreated complex PTSD. Yeah. So, yeah, and I'm just, you know, uh, so that was a, a major, you know, uh, epiphany. Um, and then um, realizing that the trauma, the other thing I learned, because uh, before I, again, learned about this, I thought that, okay, so if you have trauma, you know, probably therapy and medication or something would be the thing that you would, you know, use to manage it or treat it. And the other thing I learned was that since trauma lives in the nervous system, as well as in the mind and the body, you actually need body brain, body and brain-based trauma treatments to fully heal. And so that was another like, oh my God. So at first I was shocked and then I was kind of pissed off because all the therapies I'd done were talk therapy and and 12 step and stuff like that. And so, you know, I come to the point, I'm listening to this on an audiobook, uh, The Body Keeps the Score, and Bessel van der Kolk says, no amount of talk therapy can completely heal trauma. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, rewind, rewind. <laughs> did did he just say what I think he said? And I'm and I you know listen to it back, and I'm like, oh my god. So part of me was like, oh my god. So for 30 years I've been doing all this work, and it's not to say that it didn't help because of course, you know, my life is you know tremendously better than it was. But if I had gotten trauma based therapies like EMDR or neurofeedback or somatic types of therapies. I would have gotten on a healing path decades sooner and saved myself a lot of pain and suffering. So, um, and and the other main thing is that I I'd, I'd seen probably a, 
dozen or more psych, psych, like psychologists, uh, therapists, psychiatrists over the years. And they all knew of my history and none of them ever once said, you know, Mary, you really do have classic symptoms of trauma, you know, complex trauma, PTSD, whatever you want to call it. But none of them ever did. And so if just one of them would have said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that you might have some kind of a, a post-traumatic stress disorder, I would have been all over it. And so this is what lit a fire under me to write this book. It was like, I can't be the only one, you know, I mean, there, you know, just go into any 12-step meeting and, you know, I'm sure 90% of the people there are, you know, walking around with untreated trauma like I've been. And so it, it relieved a huge burden of, of shame for me. Because people with, especially with addictions and uh, severe obesity or regular obesity, you know, our culture has so much, uh, there's so much stigma and uh, a lot of contempt in our culture for people that struggle with addiction because actually studies show that 50% still believe addiction and obesity are choices. And so when you realize that it wasn't your fault, that your brain and body and mind were changed because of, you know, what happened to you growing up, it relieves you of that burden of shame. And, you know, of course, you're responsible for maintaining your recovery and, and, and everything. But just knowing it wasn't your fault is a huge piece. So that's really the impetus that made me. It almost felt it really kind of felt like a moral obligation. It's like, you know, I, I've got to write this book. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and it's so needed. And one of the things that you brought up with just the, the science based part of it. And that's one of the things that I just found so powerful as I read I had the privilege of being able to read uh, versions of your book as it, as it as it came to life and grew yes. into blossomed. I love this the idea of it blossoming into life, and uh, I just was so impressed with how much how much science is in it, and in, in just the information that you provide as far as um, yeah, like the the impact on the brain. Like it is literally brain injury. Totally. It, your brain is injured. Yes, it, yeah. it really. And, and that's the thing. It's uh, it's not like you have a mental health disorder. You have like like in the Daryl Hammond movie, Cracked Up. I don't know if you saw it, but it was such a classic line. He he suffered horrible childhood trauma, Daryl Hammond, the SNL uh, comedian. And his psychiatrist said to him, I don't want you to call what you have mental illness. I want you to call it a mental injury. And it was like, oh, my God, that's exactly what it is. So, you know, the thing about the stigma about mental health issues is, um, you know, when something when you're exposed to this kind of toxic stress, it does injure your brain. And so you do need special types of treatments, just like any, any injury to heal. Um, so, yeah, like the ACE study, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, I do a whole chapter on that. And um, for those of you that don't know about that, it's uh, a study that was done in 1998 by the CDC and Kaiser Permanente, where they basically asked, you know, 17,000 members of the health plan of Kaiser, 10 questions about whether they experienced 10 types of adversity or trauma growing up before they were 18. And the basic ones were, did you have emotional abuse, emotional neglect, physical abuse, physical neglect, uh, sexual abuse, uh, did a parent have a mental health issue, anxiety, depression, or a drug or an alcohol addiction? Or did you witness your mother being beaten? Or did you have a parent go to, uh, did you have a parent that was incarcerated? And so 
that they they after polling all of these seventeen thousand people, they found uh, they wanted to do the study because they wanted to see if this early adversity was going to have negative impacts on these patients as they grew older. And and the results were stunning. You know, it was like and and what I put in my book on my chapter, it's called how my ACE score prevent uh, predicted my future. Uh, I have an ACE score of six and an ACE score of four is considered high. It's a, a high risk score for negative uh, social, behavioral and health outcomes. And so when you look at the chances of uh, me or anyone with a four or higher ACE score, my chances of having a, a problem with alcohol or alcoholism is like 700% higher. The chances of obesity is like 250% higher. The chances of becoming a smoker uh, is phenomenally higher. And so all of these, so I put all of these graphs and all of this scientific research in the book, in that chapter, just showing that, you know, the stage was set for me to struggle with these things. And, and I'm not bringing this up to say, you know, I'm a victim and, you know, poor me. It's just research, you know, it's it's reality that when you expose a child to that much toxic stress, they're going to need to figure out how to cope with it, you know, and whether it's through drugs, alcohol, food, and my symptoms are overt. But many people that have high ACE scores don't struggle with food or drugs or alcohol, but they have to find a way to regulate. And so the other ways that they'll struggle is people pleasing or, you know, like it, it's uh, it's shown that uh, a lot of people with high ACE scores get into toxic relationships or relationships are not fulfilled or they avoid relationships completely or become workaholics or get into other addictions like sex or shopping or porn or gambling or whatever whatever the behavior is to help regulate that feeling of anxiety and agitation or that feeling of deadness. Because the other opposite thing that happens to survivors is called hypoarousal, which is to go down, which is being numb or being tired or lethargic or dissociated. And so, um, so a lot of survivors can vacillate between being hyper aroused, which is going higher, which is agitated, anxious, to or paranoid or whatever, to hypo, which is wiped out, and you know. And so, a lot of people with the hypo arousal use stimulants, you know, the because it's depression, it's you know lethargy, and so um, it just all of a sudden made sense why I kept on reaching for substances to regulate because my nervous system, like a thermometer, was completely broken. And, um, you know, and then we can talk about the trauma triggers that trigger it too. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, again, as you're sitting here, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I remember, like, I'm flashing back to so many of our conversations and, and we had such phenomenal conversations on, you brought up the shame component of it. I know that's a big, oh a really Huge. big topic. We could do a whole podcast series on, on that alone. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I actually had done a ton of shame work before I learned about trauma when I found Brene Brown, like in, when I was like 53, 54, and that was really, really healing. And yet, I still didn't understand that I had trauma. So even though I healed a lot of my shame, I still wasn't willing to come out on a broad professional level about my history of obesity and addiction because I was so sick of looking bad and feeling bad about myself. I'm like, I'm done feeling bad. I feel like I look normal now. So why do I even need to talk about my history? 
you know? And yet here it was my greatest asset. And yet, and I knew I could help a lot of people heal by sharing how I could, you know, I mean, when you're in the depths of a severe obesity or addiction, you know, having somebody that has overcome it is so helpful. And yet I just felt too much shame about coming out about it. So that's the other reason why um, learning about trauma helped me like release that shame and actually turned it into purpose and power, you know, by doing this book. Yes. Well, and that brings up another point that I know we've talked about is that um, it's not a trauma race where you had talked about, you know, oh, well, I wasn't sexually abused or physically abused where I have that background right? for me, but it wasn't, it's not a trauma, it's not a comparison. It's not, if you've experienced trauma, no matter what it is, you've, you've still been injured. You still exactly. um, can do the healing and it's not, oh, this person has it worse than me or, or whatever. Right. It's that, you have the right to have peace enjoying your life and have this trauma healed. Exactly. And, and I'm so glad you bring that up because it is so common, especially uh, there's one type of trauma that is so unrecognized because it's what didn't happen, but what should have happened, which is called childhood emotional neglect. Yeah. And um, a couple of uh Experts in that field are Jonice Webb, who's got some great books on it, as well as Ruth Cohn, C-O-H-N. And what that is, and I didn't even know about this either, is when you have, and this, this accounts for people that don't have, you know, any kind of history of parents fighting or alcohol or mental illness or any of that, anything overt. But when they were kids and they would have emotions or fears or excitement even, They would have parents that couldn't mirror them, that couldn't attune with them. And so what happens is it's left, uh, it leaves the child with feeling like their feelings don't matter or they don't matter. And they just feel a sense of emptiness and deadness sometimes. And so since they didn't have any kind of overt trauma, they, they don't even identify as somebody that could have trauma. And yet it still impacts the brain as well as you know physical or sexual abuse it's just a different type of trauma because as a human organism we need to have that kind of attunement from a parent to develop properly to feel safe and when we don't feel like who we are is acknowledged and our feelings are valid um, it really messes with us uh, from a neurological standpoint and also a psychological standpoint especially a relationship standpoint and so um that's another whole population of people that have no clue that the reason they struggle in relationships or with self-esteem or with shame is because they just didn't have a parent that could attune with them. And the reason their parents can't attune with them is because they have unhealed trauma. You know, I mean, a parent can only attune with you to the degree that their parent attuned with them. So like my, in my case, my mom's mother was an orphan. So she had a mother that, she didn't, my grandmother didn't really have a mother, you know, and so she lived in an orphanage and then had to be taken care of by a family friend. And so, of course, my grandmother couldn't really attune with my mother. And back then, I mean, it wasn't like psychology or trauma informed, you know, treatments or therapies were available. And so, of course, my mom grew up with a severe attachment wound and used alcohol and, you know, and then, you know, trauma trickles down unless you heal it. So, right, right. Well, and I love that part of your book. It 
we've discussed it and the fact that it's a teaching memoir is that you've you've woven this beautiful creation of your personal journey through through so much your your childhood into your teen years your 20s and and but then interwoven the healing and the work you did and oh my god you just take people on a journey and i think oh, that's, that's the beauty of it um so i'm just saying all of this for folks who are tuning in because if you're if you're like oh i like to meet, read memoirs oh i like to read you know this is like that perfect combination of yeah it really um, is part science memoir, and part, memoir yeah. Yeah, I say it's a blending of uh, memoir, science-based research, and uh, a complex PTSD workbook and recovery healing guide. Because, you know, I'm a coach. I'm a, so as a coach, I have to like include the how to heal part. Yeah, it's just who I am. And so, um, and yet, I knew I wanted to share my story because, to me, and I even dedicate the book to this uh, to survivors that sharing our story is the most powerful thing we can ever do to heal ourselves and heal the world. And so, um, in fact, even the ACE study proved that people that actually shared about their ACE, like when they did the ACE uh, test and the doctor came in and asked them about their ACE score, those people had like a 35% less, uh, uh, in other words, their ER visits or their doctor visits decreased by a significant amount. So just sharing what happened to you is healing in and of itself. But anyway, um, you know, the reason I'm even in recovery or writing this book is because of all the stories that I've read of people that have shared their stories, you know, and these stories heal. So I wanted to include that as well as the science-based research because I'm very empirical too. It's like, I want to know that, okay, so there's hardcore science. I mean, I've got brain scans in the book. I've got the ACE study data in the book. I've got polyvagal theory, which is all about how our nervous system responds and how to, you know, basically uh, operate your own nervous system so that you can feel safe and connected with people. Um, I really go into a lot of um, relational trauma healing. And the reason I do that is the reality is that, you know, childhood, this is another aha moment for me reading this, learning about this, is childhood trauma is relational trauma because it happens in the context of close family relationships. And so it can, if we don't get healing, it can color our ability to forge and maintain healthy relationships for the rest of our life. And so when I really got down to it, my use of food, drugs, and alcohol were my best attempt to soothe myself when a, a connecting relationship couldn't. So I was always looking for the soothing from a relationship, but since my parents weren't really available for that, I, I sought out the next best thing. So really the, the kind of full circle moment is to learn that it, that we really do need relationships to, to feel regulated. And when I say regulated, I mean a sense of uh, well-being, a sense of peace, a sense of connectedness versus anxiety or, you know, like depression. Um, and, and so many of us that have been exposed to toxic stress in our childhoods tend to back away from relationships or we tend to attract toxic relationships because that's what we're used to. And so a big piece of healing trauma is healing your ability to connect in relationships. And uh, so I do a lot of uh, worksheets and questionnaires and stuff like that in the healing part on that. Uh, 
codependency recovery. Um, you know, when I was when I was in the thick of my codependency, I mean, I was a little girl. Like my mom used to have these self help books laying around the house, and so as a you know a little ten year old girl, I, I'd secretly read them, and I had this brilliant idea. I'm like, oh my god. I'm going to read this self-help book and, and and see if I can help my mom get better and maybe she'll quit drinking and maybe she'll get along better with my dad. And, and so, you know, I would be there at 10 years old reading Wayne Dyer's Your Erroneous Zones, <laughs> highlighting the, the, the lesson I thought could help her. And as she walked into the kitchen with her cigarette and her glass of wine, I'd say, hey, mom, you know, Wayne Dyer says if you use I statements that, you know, dad might not feel so attacked and maybe you could get along better. And she'd say, oh, okay, that sounds interesting. And so I got the green light and I started literally coaching her, you know, when I was 11 years old. And of course it didn't help in any significant way, but that was how my codependency started, right? It was like, mom was sick. She was always crying and being upset about my dad. And so as a little girl, I became her parent. And that's another source of trauma is parentifying a child. But really I became a coach when I was 11 years old. My first client was my mom which a lot yeah. of us in this field can relate to. So I had to do a lot of recovery work and codependency because when I became an adult, I remember I I would find myself in the same pattern. I would like start reading these books when I was in my 20s and 30s. I was sober already, but I'm reading these books and I'm like, oh my God, this person so needs this book. I mean, literally reading the book, like it's for this person. And like, can I read this to you? And I'm like, oh my God, I'm doing the same thing I was doing with my mom. And so- I had to like come to the realization that Mary, everybody has their path. You know, they have a higher power and you're not it. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, uh, and the reality I had to face was they may never really get better. And if, if their level of emotional health isn't good for me, I might not I might even need to let them go, you know? which is a painful thing to have to face. But anyway, so I do a lot of that in the book um, and also the shame stuff. Uh, Shame is part and parcel of trauma. Like Peter Levine, a very, very famous trauma Mm -hmm. expert says, where there's trauma, there's shame, and where there's shame, there's trauma. And um, the thing about shame is, I didn't realize this until I read uh, several books about it, is I used to think my shame was because of being bullied as an overweight kid or or because of my addiction history. Um, but actually, this one book I read, it was talking about how when a baby is not attuned with, that their natural reaction is to go into a shame state because they feel like there's something wrong with them. And so just having a parent that's sort of checked out or addicted or stressed out or whatever can cause a child to go to develop shame just as a a core kind of identity issue. And I have a feeling that could have happened for me because it, it, uh, it took a long time for me to to work on my shame and it still comes up, but it's like 90% better. Yeah. Well, thanks for bringing that up. What pops into my head and I know we've talked about it is I I had an um, alcoholic parent that was completely, completely disconnected from the role of a parent. And, um, but I had a grandmother that was very mm-hmm. present in my life because people used to say when they would hear my trauma story, 
Terry, how did you ever survive all yeah. of that? Like your your smile and your radiate joy, and how did you ever get through that? And for such a long time, I was like, I I don't know. And then when I started to learn about all of this and the mm-hmm. resilience part of it and the shame part of it and the the, the um oh what's that called? Anna Runkle talks about it a lot. Um, oh my gosh, my brain just went completely blank. Re-regulating, you know, being able yes. to work in in relation mm-hmm. with other people to help one another re-regulate. Um, and then I was like, Grandma Kitty. Grandma Kitty, mm, she mm-hmm. was that presence in my life that I could connect with mm-hmm. her. And mm-hmm. so, and I think that's the point that we've brought up on the show a lot is that that one caring adult, if you do have someone in your life yes. that is able to be in that role for a child, it can make a huge difference in that Oh child. my God, totally. I mean, they, I mean, Oprah talks about that in the book that her and Bruce Perry wrote, What Happened to You? Um and, you know, for me, it wasn't so much one present adult, but I grew up in a, a, a in a neighborhood that was really cool. It was like there was like a, a single family homes, all middle class. Most kids were in my age range. And so we all had really good friends. And so even if all hell was breaking loose in my crazy alcoholic home, I could walk over to my friend's house and be in a normal home. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, or I would go, uh, we we would get invited to go to the beach with different families, or uh, we were going to church together too. And so thank God for my, I call my Carrie Street gang, gang, because that's where I grew up in, in Garden Grove, California. And, um, but if I hadn't had that, if I was just living isolated in an apartment somewhere with no friends or whatever, uh, I, I don't even know if I'd be alive to be telling this story. Right. So, yeah. So it's so important to, um, to have those kinds of relationships. In fact, they talk a lot about the reason why some kids become traumatized and some kids don't, even though they might have the same experience, is because they had a a caring, present adult with them during or right after their traumatic experience to help soothe them where one person didn't, the other kid didn't. And so that's how trauma develops when you don't have the ability to to manage the overwhelm of the the emotional pain of whatever you're going right. through. Right. So yeah, and um, yeah. So the, I mean, to me, the whole thing is really understanding what complex trauma is and learning what you need to do to heal, and then implementing the healing practices. Because just like anything, you can read about it forever and talk about it, but it, until you start working with the sensations in your body, with the relationships in your life, having those difficult conversations or or taking those risks and, and stepping out of your comfort zone in a in a graded way, not you know, where you're right. completely, you know, stressed out, but but having a uh, a compassionate guide to support you is so important. And and like having you as my friend through this whole book writing process has been critical. I, you know, like, I, so thank you. I mean, uh, I, I, between you and my other friend, Carrie, you know, we had our weekly calls for the first year, year and a half of my going through this process of writing this book and you guys listening to different chapters and just being there when I was stuck or just feeling like, oh my God, you know, because there's so many exits that you can have when you're writing a book. There's so many opportunities to give up. And because I did, it was my, this book was on hold for five years until thank God COVID, not thank God, but COVID hit and I turned lemons into lemonade and and really got back on it. 
But um, but having your support and having a supportive partner and having the support of Pace's connection, which is positive and adverse childhood experiences connection, which is a, an amazing, huge social network of trauma practitioners of all types and in, in all sectors to help prevent and heal childhood trauma and build resilience. So, you know, I met you through Pace's Connection. I met Anna Runkle, the crappy childhood fairy through Pace's Connection, Carrie Sip. So together, you know, we we support each other to do things that are uncomfortable. And, um, you know, I wouldn't obviously even be on the show with you. if uh, I doubt I would if I hadn't known you. So you've been a really key part of the support. And that's that's a really, really thing that I'm super grateful for. So thank you. Oh, well, you know, my heart's over here smiling. I was like tugging my heart because I could feel it filling up. So thank you. Uh, Well, I just feel so blessed to one that this beautiful friendship blossomed and developed out of of these, these podcast conversations. And um, yeah, but it's, I mean, yes, this, this friendship's such a treasure, but it's so much more than that. Like it's a partnership in, mm-hmm. in shining a light of hope into yes. the world and supporting one another. And I love the idea of that, of one that you have, have built this community around you of friendships and people mm-hmm. who get it. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, oh, I, and you support me. I know you've been so encouraging about finish that book, Terry. <laughs> I know. I told you that before we hit record, like I wrote a chapter yesterday, like I, I, yep. one of the two I'm writing. And so it's it's a big deal to have that. And it's just absolutely. Such a blessing. Thank you. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a full believer in the five people that you spend the most time with basically is the prediction is what your life is going to look like. So if the five people you spend the most time with uh, feel like the kind of people that you want to become, then great. If not, keep on bringing people into your life that you want to, you know, uh, rise to the occasion with. So yeah, I love it. Well, I know you and I could sit here and do a whole four hour episode. So I wanted to give oh. you an opportunity to to talk about anything that we haven't touched upon yet. Sure. Well, I think, like I said, the biggest part of healing trauma is just taking that baby step to start. And I think sometimes it's so overwhelming. I know at first for me, just learning all these different aspects of trauma, especially if you have addiction issues, because, uh, you know, you need if you have a serious addiction, a serious drug or alcohol addiction or severe obesity that's life threatening, you really do need to get stabilized in that before you dive into trauma. And and, and once you get on a path of recovery with that, it, it doesn't mean you have to be in recovery for years or anything, but at least stabilized then you can get into the trauma work. Um, but you do need to do both. Um, so the the part three of the book is all about the healing journey. It's, uh, it's about learning what needs to happen on a body, brain, mind, behavioral level. And that was so overwhelming for me at first. That's why I wanted to write this part of this book, because it's like, where do you start? You know, at first I thought, well, I've done all this work for 30 years. Maybe I just need to do neurofeedback or EMDR. And I'm like, and as I'm reading more, I'm like, Oh, no, no, I <laughs> I still I could see that I was getting triggered in my relationships. I was still struggling with food or, you know, these different things. Um, and I was and also grief. You know, there's a lot of grief when you start learning about trauma, about the lost opportunities. And, you know, um, and it's important to to give yourself the space to grieve what you did lose. And so because if you don't do that, then you're you know, Pete Walker is a, a trauma expert that really helped me understand this. 
if we don't fully grieve our childhood trauma losses, it keeps our symptoms alive. And so, um, you know, forgiveness is, is great. However, he talks about premature forgiveness can stall out your trauma healing process. So I talk about that in the book. Um, I talk about um, just every single step I've taken to get sober with alcohol and drugs, every, every single step I've taken to lose 160 pounds and keep it off for 20 years, all the steps I've taken to uh, develop and maintain close relationships. I talk about attachment theory um, and uh, exactly what you needed. I have a whole 36 item menu of uh, trauma-based therapies and treatments to choose from to make it easy. So um, yeah, so, you know, it's a workbook, it's a, you know, memoir, it's a, you know, science-based research. So it's really got all kinds of stuff in it. And um, I'd be honored if uh, you want to take a look at it. So uh, it's coming out on amazon.com or it already is. It Once this podcast comes out, it will be out on amazon.com. So the name of it is, it's not about food, drugs, or alcohol. Should I put a screenshot of the, or yeah, the, let's pull it up the page. So okay. those of you on YouTube, or if you're not pop over to YouTube, go to Terry Welbrock channel okay. and uh, find this. Okay. So let's see. Can you see it? I do see it. Yeah, that's the, the cover. So the title is, it's not about food, drugs, or alcohol. It's about healing complex PTSD. And one thing it's important to recognize, even if you don't have a problem with food, drugs, or alcohol, but you had a difficult childhood or you're struggling with relationships, this book can still be really helpful. Uh, or if you have people, I mean, it's undoubted, undoubtedly you have people in your life that have struggled or are struggling with these issues. So just understanding them more can be really, really helpful. Um, so I, I go into that and, um, and how to take care of yourself if you've got someone in your family that's struggling with any of these things. So um, let me get take that back down. Are we back? Yay, we are. Yay. <laughs> and um, and so yeah. And if you want to check out my website, it's MaryGiuliani.net. That's G-I-U-L-I-A-N-I. And I am a life coach. Uh, I specialize in trauma recovery and resiliency. Uh, so if you are looking for individual coaching, I do work with individuals that are struggling with any kind of trauma symptoms, including food, weight, substances, um, and relationships. And, and if you're a survivor that wants to take your career to the next level, I'm really passionate about helping people turn their pain, in, pain into purpose. So if you have a book you want to write, I can take you through the steps that I've gone through to get this out there. So Wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's just been a pleasure, as always, to have Me you too. here. I'm so excited about this book. I can't stand it. I feel like, like, Thank you. like I think I told you, I feel like I'm an aunt, like, you know, uh <laughs> When the baby's the baby being born, and I'm so excited because I'm just I'm like, oh my god, I feel right. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. It's it's an, I, apparently only three percent of people that start writing books finish them, so it's it's quite a feat, and um, I'm just so thrilled that I finally got this thing done. So yes, well, it's it's going to have a huge impact in in the world of trauma recovery. So um, well, thank I, you, Terry. And, You've been a yes. big part of it. Yay. Oh my gosh. Well, again, I'm just thrilled to have you here and thank you for joining me. All right. Thanks, Terry. Bye, everybody. All right. Everyone, thanks for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember, until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Terry Welbrock again. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today and remind you to visit my website as well as the Academy 
www.terrywellbrock.com for the courses. But if you go to my website, terrywellbrock.com, you can sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter, which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows um, and just a great space for... Uh, Thanks for, again, being here and being a part of this healing space. I very much appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye.